Taking sports to another level. Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Exploring the latest headlines and going behind the scenes with in-depth interviews. Hearing personal stories and the impact of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richmond Weaver. What time is it? Game time, And this is episode 29. Welcome. I am your host, Richmond Weaver, and glad you're listening through whatever format that might be. And thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. And if you've missed any previous episodes, make sure to go to our website, richtakeonsports.com, and there you can find all of the other episodes. You can subscribe directly from our website on any platform that you choose, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher. You can also find us on iHeartRadio. So there's multiple options if you've missed any previous episodes. And again, to ensure that you don't, just make sure that you subscribe and you'll automatically receive those each and every week when they're released. Now, this episode is a little bit different, and this is in light of everything that's going on with the recent events with President Trump, NFL players, NFL owners, Colin Kaepernick, protests, the national anthem, all of those are being intertwined together and what it's doing to the nation. Is it uniting? Is it dividing? or what's going on right now. And so I felt this was a great opportunity for us to really try to start the process of understanding each perspective and each view so we can actually come together rather than keep separating and dividing each other. And so I was very fortunate that Jay Richardson, former Oakland Raider and defensive end for the Ohio State University and a local broadcaster and analyst in Columbus, Ohio right now, agreed to come on and share a little bit more about his story and sports and how it was involved in his background and upbringing, but also just from a perspective of I wanted to understand his views. I'm a white American. I have no ability to understand what it looks like through the lens of an African-American. And Jay agreed to help share what that lens looks like and what his perspective is. And that's where I think we can really start making any type of progress is having dialogue. And so I was able to share with Jay my background, my story, and how sports was very impactful in my life with a dysfunctional upbringing, never knew my biological father. And we have some similarities. And you'll hear as he gets to share his story. So One of the first things that I start asking him is just what is your background? What is your story and how sports became so important to him? I think for for anyone to understand the lens I see the world through, you you have to know my experience, which is, is, I I think, unique. But, uh, you know, I think all of our experiences are unique, and that's why we're special, every one of us. So myself, you know, I'm 33 years old, was born in Washington, D.C., actually the nation's capital. My mother actually worked for the Air Force and uh, for the Pentagon and then for the Department of Defense. So I grew up as a military kid um, moving around a lot. I lived in Korea, Japan. I lived in Guam and then came back to the States, uh, lived in you know Newport News, Virginia, home of Allen Iverson, and uh, you know eventually got to uh, Columbus, Ohio. All my family's from East Cleveland. So pretty diverse background and just moving around a lot. I got used to being, you know, the the new kid in class all the time and I went to schools full of all Latin American kids, all Asian kids, all Guamanian kids, 
all black kids, all white kids. Um, so I can pretty much get along with anybody because I, I, I've had to, and it, it, it kind of broadens, you know, my perspective. I think not just on um, us Americans, but really on the world, um, you know, was not close with my biological father. Uh, hadn't, I haven't spoken in years. You know, my parents were divorced when I was 11. I'm the oldest of three boys. So, uh, you know, forced to be responsible at a young age. Uh, I got a fantastic mother who's, you know, the strongest human being on the earth. And I've been very, very fortunate in my life to have sports all my life from soccer as a youngster, you know, to getting into to basketball and wrestling. And then uh, I didn't get into football till late. I really didn't play football until high school. Hit a couple of growth spurts and, and, you know, one day woke up and was, you know, about 6'5 and 240 pounds and thought, yeah, I might want to try this football thing. <laughs> okay. But for me, uh, it, it, it it's, you know, I was never an athlete. I was, or I was never a jock, I should say. I was more of the, you know, the, the artsy kind of nerdy kid that liked to do, you know, draw and, you know, enter art competitions and, and, you know, hang out, play video games, you know, football was kind of like, eh, you know, whatever. And then I ended up getting better at it. And uh, obviously, you know, got recruited by everybody and then ended up signing with Ohio State and becoming a Buckeye. I was a national champion my freshman year, but then my senior year, lost in the national championship to, ironically, Urban Meyer, who I now have a relationship with here in Columbus. Uh, I was drafted after that um, to the Oakland Raiders, which I was very thrilled to be part of that organization. Loved Al Davis, um, loved that team, you know, did, was there for four years and then was in Seattle, you know, with Pete Carroll and that crew, fantastic crew, fantastic staff. And uh, this is back when the Raiders weren't nearly as good as they are now. So obviously I didn't make the playoffs until I got to Seattle the first time in my career. And then that was a huge blessing. And then after an injury, I bounced around the league a little bit and then ended up playing um, for the Jets briefly and then finished up in 2013-14 season with the uh, New Orleans Saints. So I was very, very blessed to be able to you know play long enough to get a pension you know, about six seasons and had a fantastic NFL experience and, you know, learned a lot, made a lot of good friends in that, in that, in that league and stayed involved. And then when I was done playing, I just kind of naturally gravitated towards the media um, and came here in town and started working for uh, locally for ABC6 here in town and Fox 28, which are the same umbrella here in Columbus. I host uh, a pregame show. I host my own Friday night football show. And then I and then I host the uh, daytime talk show sometimes. Uh, Good day Columbus, which is like a, you know, Good Morning America kind of like a. I'm like Columbus's little mini Michael Strahan with just uh, not the gap and a whole lot less sacks than the pros. <laughs> I like it. So now through that whole journey, it all started again with sports. So what Correct. was it about sports that? That made you gravitate towards them, and as you mentioned, hey, you were on the artsy side. Why didn't you go down that other pathway? You know what? For me, my physical talent led me more to sports. Not to mention, I was probably a, an, an angry young kid, especially you know as a child. Probably had dad issues and, and just just teen angst and just being nice. It was nice to play football, and it was nice to be a part of something. You know, I think more than anything, sports provides for children is really just a platform or I should say an experience that allows them to feel you know part of something bigger than themselves. Teaches them so many skills about how to work with others. You're going to learn so many life skills that they have, and obviously in sports, and it teaches them competitiveness and hard work. There's so many good principles that football. And really, any sport teaches you about life and success, and that's why anytime you go to, you know, a corporate uh, meeting or any sort of function where there's a speaker, they're always going to use, you know, sports metaphors, and it's and it's very, you know, apropos because that's just how it is. You know, sports really prepares you for life, and you know, I don't have children yet, but one day when I do, now I'll probably make it a requirement to play some sort of sport, not football, 
necessarily, but some sort of sport because I think it adds to your well-roundedness. And I think it's important that, uh, that kids learn how to compete because, you know, life, that's what it is. So that's pretty much what led me to that, you know, to sports and why I stuck with it. And I still stuck with my art and different things. Like that, but sports for me, honestly, was was a was a kind of like how you said it was a way to vent and it was a way out you know it was a way to make make something of myself it was a way to pay my college tuition and also i was there an aspect of you know you moving around and having to meet new friends was sports a way to connect with people as well absolutely it's it's a natural kind of conduit for friendship and i don't you know i don't care what sport it is or or what kind of people are involved. That's just kind of usually how it goes. So sports just kind of makes that easier. And, uh, and that makes perfect sense to me. So that was what, what made it easy for me to just connect with people. And we all know sports kind of transcends a lot of, you know, race, religion, creed, belief systems. You know, sports kind of transcends all of that because at, at some point it's going to put you in a situation where you're with somebody who, where you're with someone or in a room with someone and forced to interact with someone who is nothing like you. And I think it's a beautiful thing because it forces people out of their bubble and kind of forces them to, to gain some, some perspective on their own life and on the world around them. And I think it helps people see through other people's lens, which is, I think, the basis of empathy. So I think sports is very, very important. Yes, and obviously... Sports and race is a hot topic right now with the recent events with President Trump's comments uh, this past Friday and then uh, this past Sunday with the NFL players and the unity that they're trying to show in response to that and uh, support for Colin Kaepernick's uh, original calls. So from that perspective, Jay, as you mentioned, a lens and looking at it from a different lens, you know, I, I'm a white American, so I cannot look through the lens of an African-American like yourself. So can you share just what that looks like in terms of where your support is in, you know, for the protest? Um, you've got a military background. How are you balancing all of that? Uh, it Just so... I'm just trying to get a better perspective because I think the other side of this is what you mentioned also, Jay, is that there, there's need to be communication. And, you know, sports has been able to bring people together. But for right now, it seems like are we in a divisive type of atmosphere? So can, can you just share your your thoughts and your viewpoint? Rich, I would love to. Um, and, you know, there's been tons of rhetoric spewed uh, both on CNN, on ESPN, on, on, on every social media platform, um, you know, in the, in the past months, uh, really year, and all stemming from, a, you know, a couple polarizing figures. One would be, would be, you know, our president, and the other would be Colin Kaepernick, and everything has kind of trickled down from there. And a lot of things are, are getting, you know, misconstrued. A lot of people are... I believe confused about, about, you know, their stance or maybe not their stance, but maybe what the real issues are. And it can seem very complex and convoluted from, you know, the outside looking in, but I think at the core, you know, the nucleus of, of, of this entire issue that we're having right now in this country, this, this quote unquote great divide that, that is perceived to be taking place at the core of it all. I think it's so, so, so simple. And, you know, this all started with Colin Kaepernick's protest against racial inequality, right? I mean, that's, that seems to be the hot-button issue is, 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 is one man saying, you know what, 
I don't like what I'm seeing and I'm going to just quietly make a, make an example of myself to everyone else as to, you know, what it is I feel is wrong in this country. And this is the best way I know how to make a point um, on a, on a, on a very public national platform, you know, an NFL game. That's a big deal, right? I mean, everyone sees yes. that. You take that knee, he, he, right after he did that in that game, everyone, you know, his, his locker was full of cameras and people had to know, hey, were you just, you know, kneeling down because your back was sore or were you kneeling down because there's something going on in, on your mind? Are you anti the flag? Are you anti the troops? Are you, are you mad at something? And that day, he clearly, Colin Kaepernick clearly stated exactly and specifically why he decided to take a quiet, peaceful protest. And it was simply, I am not happy with the state of race relations in this country. I'm not happy with inequality when it comes to law enforcement and police brutality. Um, at that time, uh, you know, as, as you recall, many, many killings were piling up, right? Uh, it was like the 40th unarmed African-American male that was, that was murdered in a row, you know, going on like, you know, a handful of months. And I think people were kind of fed up. There were marches and protests all over from, you know, St. Louis to Virginia and out West. And I think it all kind of uh, crescendoed and piled up. And then boom, this, this, this athlete, a mixed race athlete, actually, you know, his, his mother's Caucasian takes a knee and, and, and says, this is how I feel. And from that moment forward, you know, this, this, this kind of firestorm began or this movement and everything you want to call it, because it's a movement on both sides. It, you know, if you think there are sides to this, right, you got the people who are for him um, saying, Hey, we love it. This is the right thing to do. And then you have the people who are against him kind of for the majority, just hanging on the idea that you should have found a better way to protest. And, and, you know, and then you have a group that decided to make it about the flag. There's always a group that doesn't want to tackle the real issue. So in order to not tackle the real issue, you make it about something else because that's easy to get behind, right? It's easy to not like a guy if he's protesting the flag. It's easy to not like a guy if he's protesting troops. That's kind of, I mean, that's very easy. Heck, if I found out someone didn't like my American flag and, you know, and, and our troops, I'd be anti them as well. You know, I, 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 this country's done so much for me and I, and I love every day I get the chance to live my life here. And, um, and I have friends who, who are in the military. I have friends who are in law enforcement. I love them to death and I, and I, and I wish the best for all of them. But once again, that would be avoiding the real issue because that's not the issue. Him and, and any other um, NFL player, NBA player, WNBA player, which people are forgetting the WNBA has been, has been staging their protest too. It just doesn't get as much traction because it's the WNBA, but that's, that's a real thing that's been happening. But that's not that once again, we're all missing the issue. The man clearly stated why he was taking a knee. And I think to, to ignore that and to say, well, no, I'm deciding why I think you're doing it or, or what you're doing offends me because it's the national anthem or because it's the flag. Well, I can understand that. And guess what? I can even respect somebody who's upset with him about his position. That I'm okay with. But to attack someone, to attack really an entire group of individuals purely based on them exercising their First Amendment rights is completely and utterly un-American. Um, and, and I think that's what our president decided to do when he called an entire group of, of, of American athletes uh, SOBs, which I think is just, one, that, that kind of you know, speech is not becoming of, 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 of anyone in political office, let alone the highest political office that this country has. And two, if your goal 
or what, what should be your goal as, you know, the POTUS is to bring people together to, you know, unite this country as, you know, his inauguration speech, he stated that, that that's what he wanted to do. Well, that's a surefire way to make sure there's a divide is by basically saying, you know, an extremely negative and, and divisive comment aimed directly at a specific group of people. Um, so you have to be careful because that kind of rhetoric is dangerous and it forces people to take sides. And unfortunately, what people don't realize is that there isn't really any sides to this. It's just simply right and wrong. And, and, and you know, whether or not you think what the players who are kneeling or raising a fist, whether or not you think that's wrong, they have the right to do that. So there's been tons of arguments that have kind of unfolded since. And I'm sorry I'm being so long-winded here, Rich, but it's a, it's a loaded question you asked me, so I got to kind of answer it in, in, in its completeness and in entirety. So there's been a lot of, you know, different angles people have taken, right? So you got the folks that are just saying, hey, don't disrespect the flag. And then, you know, once again, nothing to do with the flag. Everyone who's ever taken a knee or raised a fist, I said, this has nothing to do with the flag. I love that flag like you love that flag. This, this is about making, uh, um, you know, an example. And, and this is about standing up for what I believe in. So once again, if you, if you take the flag route or the anti-military route, one, it's just incorrect. They clearly stated what they're protesting. But two, it's the easy way out. It's a very easy way so that you don't have to actually address the issue, which is police brutality at a disproportionate rate against minorities. And, and I don't even want to say just minorities, but, you know, there's been police brutality against all Americans, right? I mean, yes. there, there was, a, there was a, a white woman that was killed a handful of months ago um, unarmed by a police officer and it made national headlines. It got some, it got some, a lot of traction. And what almost upset me was I didn't see more black activists coming out saying, Hey, that was wrong because I'm, I'm a very, you know, one thing people who know me know this, I got to call it how I see it. And I got to call it on both sides. So I'm okay. If you're upset that, you know, sports is now uh, that, that all these athletes and sports figures are now spending too much time on politics, right? If you say, hey, I watch sports to get away from politics, so I don't like these, these athletes using, using their time to, to be political. I'm okay with you, with you saying that if that same person is also saying, hey, political office is about politics. I don't want our president to be addressing sports and to be <laughs> taking time to take shots at athletes. Exactly. That's not what this is for. If you're, if you're saying both things, I'm cool with it. I'm yes. completely cool with it. The problem is you got a lot of folks that aren't doing that. That's right. right. They're, they're like, you know, the president says one thing and they kind of go, eh, you know, he's just being himself. And then, and then so the players respond and they go, how dare they respond? Well, now where's the balance there? And, 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 and that's not even right human nature wise. That doesn't even make sense uh, for every action. There will be an equal or opposite reaction. So the day Trump made these comments about three days ago, I said to a friend of mine, I go, boy, there's going to be more protests this Sunday than you've ever seen. He was like, you think so? I was like, oh, God, yes. I was like, he, he just basically issued a challenge, you know, or, or, or went out of his way to kind of disrespect the entire league, even the owners, eight of which who endorsed Trump's, you know, campaign and gave their hard-earned dollars to him, decided, hey, listen, even we can't back this one. So when you're so divisive that even your supporters are saying it's difficult to really back what you're saying, man. That is a, 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 a clear-cut fundamental problem. But once again, we digress from the issue because what's the basic issue, the, the, the core nucleus? All Kaepernick was trying to bring awareness to was the fact that people of color are killed disproportionately by the law enforcement that's sworn to protect them, unarmed folks of color. That's all he was trying to say. And guess what? If you can't get behind that statement, if you can't say, you know what, 
that's not right or I, I'm not okay with that, that's a huge problem because that's not a black issue. That's not a white issue. That's not a liberal or conservative issue. That's an American issue. If I saw white men getting shot down, who, white men who were, who were unarmed getting shot down by law enforcement, I would truly have an issue with that. I'd want to speak out against that. What is going on? They're one of us. We're all Americans. We're all in this together. That's not right. And guess what? On the flip side, when the, when the, when the, when the shootings in Dallas happened, where police were shot, I was one of the first ones to get online on Twitter or whatever I could do, any platform I could use and say, that's not right. That's not the answer. And I feel for those families. That's not right. No one should be getting shot unjustly who's armed uh, in any circumstance. I don't know why it's so difficult for, for us as Americans to agree on at least that much. If you can't agree on anything else, we should all be able to sit down and go, hey, bottom line is this, no human in America should be getting executed um, unjustly. That's, that's just a fact. So, you know, it, it, if we don't agree on anything else, I would love to see us agree on that. But, you know, the reality of it is this, what's happening is unprecedented. The, you know, the movements that, that's occurring right before our very eyes, you know, something that, you know, 20 years from now, 30 years from now is going to be documented. It's going to be kind of a, you know, a milestone because I don't know what's going to come of it. I don't know if, if somebody, if one owner is going to get the, is going to kind of get the, the guts to go, you know what, I want to sign Kaepernick because remember back when the whole conversation was, oh, well, they just don't want to sign Kaepernick because they don't want the distraction. Well, look at the distraction they got now. It almost would have been quieter just to sign him. I agree with you 100%, Jay, is that I do think an owner will sign Kaepernick uh, uh, Colin Kaepernick now, and it's almost to a point though that is it for the wrong reasons? Is they just trying to make a statement? Because why wouldn't they have done it previously if they truly exactly. felt that you know he could play in the NFL? Why wouldn't they have signed him back then? But I do think somebody will sign him. But I think there's also uh, Jay that. For whatever reason, some things just need this kind of explosion point or implosion point, whatever it is, to really break the log jam up, so to speak. Because exactly. I, I agree with you 100% that we have been going down these rabbit holes in terms of, oh, it, it, you can't disrespect the flag like that. Or the president, he's in a position he should never talk like that. And that becomes the focal point rather than really what was the heart of the matter from the very beginning. <laughs> the actual issue that we yes. were all, you know, that we were all here for the, the actual issue that led to everything. That's the problem. And, and, and here's the thing about protests, you know, because I got into, you know, a somewhat semi-heated debate, I suppose, on Twitter and on Facebook in the last 24 hours with, with various different people. You know, some were respectful like I was to them and just kind of. Let, let me speak, you know, uh, what I was feeling and I let them speak and I addressed them, uh, you know, as, as plainly as I could. And then others just kind of got, you know, it, it, it deteriorated into just name calling and yada, yada, yada. But the overall gist of what I was getting from people out there was this protest on television. You know, when I want to watch football and now I got to sit and see this protest, I don't like it. And what I what that translates to me as is this makes me uncomfortable. And that's kind of the core of what a protest is. A protest makes people uncomfortable, right? It makes it makes the people viewing the protest uncomfortable, and it makes the protesters uncomfortable. You don't think Kaepernick was uncomfortable taking that knee? You don't think these guys who were all taking knees, especially the first handful that took the knee when they were the one of the only two guys maybe on the entire football team, and they and they took, stood down and took a knee, and everyone kind of looked at him like, oh, boy, he's making a statement. 
I guarantee as uncomfortable as the folks around him and the viewers were, it made him 20 times more uncomfortable. But that's what protest is supposed to do. It's supposed to make you uncomfortable. It's supposed to literally push people outside of a comfort zone and force them to see an issue differently than they thought before, or at least to acknowledge the issue. That's how change actually happens. It's funny. We, we, we speak so much about, you know, being patriotic and being Americans and, 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 and this nationalist approach. There's nothing more patriotic than standing against oppression or standing for what you believe in. And it's all based on protest. This country was based on protest. If you even go back to the, you know, the early 1700s, you don't think it, 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 it uh, upset, you know, the British when all of a sudden their colonies started to protest and revolt against them. That's why we have a Tea Party now. Uh, I, I don't think people kind of really go back and, and look at where this all comes from. That's how protest happened. It took protest, you know, for the civil rights movement to get underway for African-Americans to finally get a chance to, I don't know, vote or maybe even just drink out of the same water fountain as another American. That took protest. You know, Rosa Parks had to get off the bus or sit in the very back of the bus and then was kicked off because she sat in the front and said, look, I'm doing this to protest. And when she did that, she wasn't protesting the buses. She was protesting the fact that she had to sit at the back of the bus. So to see Kyle Kaepernick take a knee, he's not protesting the flag. He's protesting the injustice that's happening. It has nothing to do with the flag or the military. But once again, people like to make it, people like to change the narrative that kind of, uh, fits their comfort level because they're comfortable attacking someone who they believe is attacking the flag. That's easy to do. It's uncomfortable to have a real discussion about what's happening in our country. I mean, the true definition of protest, it's going to disrespect something or someone. And that's just the reality sure. of a protest. Now, there's some commentary that's talking about well, we can understand from a Rosa Parks standpoint uh, that the inequalities that she faced, uh, other African-Americans not being able to vote, not being able to drink out of the same water fountain, as you mentioned, because they were living those inequalities. And so they chose to protest at that point. But some of the commentary could be, well, Colin Kaepernick, he never faced any of those inequities. So how do we embrace his ability to protest, even though he hasn't been necessarily faced with those type of inequalities, if that makes I, sense, Jay. I, 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 I love so much that you brought that up because, um, once again, when it comes to people finding new and, 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 and amazing ways to avoid addressing the real issue, they turn to any and every avenue they can. And this is the, just the latest one. Well, he didn't grow up being oppressed this is in the 60s what's he mad about and it's and it, it's such it's so beautiful that that uh that you addressed it just now because here's the bottom line i go back to the word i used when we first began our conversation right empathy i don't have to have walked in your shoes to imagine what it might be like to walk in your shoes or at least to empathize with what you might be going through meaning if i cut on my tv and there's a family whose father was shot down and they're on, you know, CNN or Fox news in tears and they have to go to a memorial service, a funeral for their, for their fallen family member or husband, while the officer who did that, you know, gets to go home for the holidays and Christmas and hang out or gets on paid leave. But you know, life doesn't change. I can empathize with that family without going through what they're going through. Right. I can, I can simply say, I feel for them. That's rough. That's all it is. It's very simple. During slavery, right, um, Harriet Tubman started the Underground Railroad. This is a fact. I'm not, I mean, I can't make this one up. We all know this. If you studied any history, there was an Underground Railroad, and it was basically a way to, to, to get the 
the slaves out, you know, of their positions of, of, of basically imprisonment and uh, indentured servitude, right? So they they rounded them up, and people quietly at night would sneak them out off these awful plantations and then try to get them north where they could find some freedom. What people always forget to document or just acknowledge is, and even black people, you know, even African Americans, we forget to acknowledge this too. A lot of fantastic Caucasian Americans helped Harriet Tubman and those and those African American slaves get out of, of those awful conditions. There were tons, tons of good, good uh, white Americans who were like, "What I'm seeing is wrong. I got to do something." Listen, you can stay at my home for the evening until you guys make your way north, heading to wherever you're heading. That's a fact. That's all documented. So. I don't see people saying, well, how would they know what the slaves are going through? They're not enslaved. No, they have empathy. They can look and go, you know what? That's not right. So I would use, I would use those points to answer anyone who, who would dare take offense to Colin Kaepernick standing up for an oppressed people because he was, himself was not oppressed. That, that, that line of reasoning doesn't even make logical sense. And th- that is an excellent way to make sure that we're, again, getting back to the heart of the matter. That's why it's so important that we can have these conversations. And again, this is on a minuscule level, just you and I having this conversation, Jay. It just, this, this is how it starts, though. And so the other thing that I feel unfortunate with this whole situation now will shift a little bit. It's still related because it's President Trump, but it's now Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors and deciding oh, yeah. not to oh, go yeah. to the it's White getting, House. It's more and more interesting. Yes. And where, to be honest with you, Jay, both sides are just showing immaturity by almost taking their toy and going home and not playing with each other. And I know that sounds simplistic, but what my point is, is that, hey, what a great platform that Steph Curry has right now and the Golden State Warriors to say, I do not agree with what's going on in the United States from my vantage point. And so, President Trump, this is my opportunity for us to sit down and talk about it. I want you to hear directly from me. So I will be attending the White House, not to celebrate our championship, but for us to have a conversation to try to move things forward. And then President Trump missed the opportunity by being, I say, childish as well by, well, you don't want to come? I'm going to take away the invitation. But it was his opportunity to say, Steph Curry, Golden State Warriors, please come to the White House so we can talk through things and start a conversation. What's your thoughts? Oh, I've got plenty on this, plenty on this. But uh, I'm going to I'm going to try to keep it simple and and direct. I myself have visited the White House. Um, at the time, there was a president in office whose views and opinions I didn't always endorse or agree with. His name was George W. Bush Jr. And I won a national championship with the Ohio State Buckeyes, and we went to the White House, and we, and we visited. And the visit there was not about a political dialogue. It was just the routine, right? That's what you do. If you're a championship team in this country, you go visit the White House. It's uh, more for the photo op, and that's beautiful. And, uh, and it was always looked at as, you know, an, an honor to be able to do so, um, as Donald Trump stated. And that's beautiful. And I think that's fine. But every time there's always been, you know, one or two guys here or there who either couldn't make it or wasn't really big on what was going on in that political administration and didn't want to come. And that was their right. Right. That was that was that was perfectly OK, because 
this wasn't one, it wasn't a requirement. It's not in their contract, in their professional contracts as NBA or NFL or any professional athletes contract that if you do win, you have to go. Of course not. It was just a, it was just basically a courtesy extended by the White House. And one, the Golden State Warriors had not officially declined that courtesy. Only a handful of them had. You know, Steph Curry, I believe Kevin Durant had said, you know what, we're, I, I, I can't do it. I wouldn't feel good about going there. And that's okay. Here's the thing, because you mentioned, well, it would be okay for them to go and, 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 and big of them to go, especially if they were going there to have, you know, kind of a conversation with, with President Trump. But I guess we can look at where that road has led some other leaders in the African-American community, right? So when I say leaders, I mean prominent figures. So you got Steve Harvey, you got, you know, Ben Carson, you got um, a good handful of other, Ray Lewis recently, the, the, the most recent, I would say, who went and met with Donald Trump when he asked to have them to come in and meet for different reasons or in, in, extended an invite. And every single time uh, they went to meet with him, Steve Harvey said it, Ray Lewis said it when he left the White House. He said he said he wasn't there to speak with us at all. He was more there for a photo op. He goes, we talked for about 20 minutes. Uh, he said a few things and cracked a few jokes, and he kind of took off, and, and I left. And it was kind of like him checking off his list of, hey, I met with you, see? I met with the black guy. Now, whether or not you agree with that or whether or not you know people believe that's what actually happened, that's the firsthand account of the, of the men that met with Donald Trump, uh, African-American uh, leaders that met with Donald Trump. So... If I'm Steph Curry, yeah, does a small part of me kind of want to go there and look him in the eye and say, listen, you know, you got to do better? Yeah, but does a larger part of me want to make a statement to the people that believe in me, my family, my fans, and just say, you know what, I, I can't get behind this. And that's okay, too. And here's another thing people forget. When Barack Obama was the president, twice the New England Patriots won the Super Bowl during his eight-year tenure as president, and both times... Tom Brady, you know, conveniently had something come up where he couldn't make it. One of the times was, was an illness in his family. I believe it was his mother, stricken with cancer. That I completely understand and, uh, and, and respect and sympathize with. Uh, there was another time where he was on vacation. You know, he didn't go to the White House and then was seen, you know, cliff diving uh, that same day in Brazil or somewhere. I didn't see any outrage by the same groups that are outraged by, by Steph Curry not visiting Donald Trump. And it's so interesting. I talked to you about balance earlier, right, saying, listen, if you're going to be mad about this, you got to be mad about this too. Well, the same folks that were, that were completely okay with that were not, you know, are outraged now. You can't pick and choose when you want to be outraged. Either you're outraged at it all, and I'm okay with that, or you're okay with both instances, and I'm okay with that. I happen to be okay with Tom Brady not going. He doesn't have to go. And guess what? That's not the candidate he voted for. So if he doesn't want to go, he doesn't have to go. That's okay. He doesn't have to go. He doesn't owe Barack a conversation. Of course not. That's, that's, that's not his job. He's not a politician. He's a football player. But if that guy doesn't, you know, line up with his views and, 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 and in his heart, he goes, nope, I, I can't, I can't go. Then you don't have to go. And it wasn't just him, by the way. It was about seven other Patriots um, that didn't, that, that, that decided not to go both times. And that was okay. And if you looked in, you know, in the liberal community, I suppose you could call it, uh, they didn't make a huge fuss about that either. It was kind of like, ah, we expect that, no big deal. So to see now a president who is who's a, coming off as extremely thin-skinned, um, which in, the, in an office that high, the highest office in the land, you're going to be criticized every single day. You can ask George Bush; he was criticized maybe more than anyone we've ever had in you know in my in my lifetime. You know, more so than Obama, more so than I mean, everyone, more so than than Bill Clinton. Who had a who, who who had a scandal before he was out of there, you know? GW was was made fun of and criticized. I never once saw George Bush 
you know, lash out and say something, you know, ridiculous or attack a subgroup. I never saw him use profanity on camera in front of the entire country, let alone calling, you know, a specific group of people's mothers, the B word, Americans, his own people that you, you've never seen. So for a prominent figure like this one, the president to do that now for this particular person to do that, we've just never been here as a country before. We've never seen this. And I think, and I think any response to that from here on out is going to be, you know, new territory and unprecedented. So you're going to see a lot of teams not going to the White House. And then you're going to see on the flip side, some teams that want to make a statement. So the NHL, you know, Pittsburgh, you know, Penguins say, hey, we're going to go. I completely respect them for going and they should go. And that's fantastic. And NASCAR comes out and says, well, we can't stand for that. And, you know, we can't stand for, uh, for, for anybody that doesn't respect the flag as they shouldn't. No one should be able to stand for anybody that doesn't respect the flag. We should all respect the flag. But once again, we'll get away from the real issues. And I think that's the, that's the issue. And, and, and then, I mean, if you want to be real, you got to look at the hockey demographics and the, and the NASCAR demographics. It makes perfect sense why, why those two private sports businesses would get behind everything that, you know, this president seems to stand for. It, it all kind of lines up perfectly. I, I'm a, I mean, I, I expect that. So that's not a surprise um, to anyone. You know, all I ask for is, is for a president that is upset at Nazis marching on U.S. soil as he is at American athletes protesting on U.S. soil. That's all I ask. And what is your take on the effects of social media with all of this? Because I think this is a whole nother unprecedented place in our history of being, you know, what social media has been able to do in terms of gaining attention to issues. So what's your thoughts on the effects of social media? Oh, Rich, could you imagine if there was a Twitter, you know, in 1958 or 1965 or 1975? Could you imagine if, if African-Americans had access to a, to a Twitter, you know, or, or, or Jews had access to a Twitter or, or Caucasian-Americans had access to a Twitter in those times? There would be a heated online firestorm that would be over, over, you know, hyped and, 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 and exploited by the media if there was a Twitter back then, because those issues were intense, were super intense. Those weren't, you know, those weren't just social injustices or police brutality. Back then, that was a common thing. That was no big deal. They had real, real issues. So uh, it's just amazing to see where we are now with social media and the Twitter and, you know, kind of the effect that everything is having because it's kind of expected. Um, It shouldn't surprise anyone. And social media, what it does is it kind of convolutes things, but it's, it, it puts every issue on steroids because now everyone has an opinion. So it gives everyone a platform to weigh in. And now the conversations are going on simultaneously all over the world about every single different issue. And sometimes it can make things seem way more happy or, or positive than they really are, or it can make things seem way more intensely negative than they really are. And it's all about, you know, what you're looking at while you're on social media. So social media is definitely, uh, intensified things and, and it's become an outlet for everyone. And, and it's a way, honestly, for people to, to, to be very, very positive, which is great and inspire. And it's also been a way for people to be extremely negative and for people to, you know, create a fake account just to say something awful to someone else. Um, so there's a lot of things happening on social media that, that, you know, if we had access to this years ago, would have probably made the issues of our past seem even even more intense. That's right. So, uh, yeah. so social media plays a huge factor, I think.
Now, what about from the aspect if you can take yourself back to the locker room during your playing days at Oakland or Seattle in terms mm-hmm. of what we saw this past weekend, at least, I mean, we, we did see some unity from the teams. Um, you know, they obviously Fantastic had. Unity. Yeah, they obviously had some meetings, communications as a whole and decided as a whole. So can you go back to your uh, playing days and remember, were there ever instances where some issues came up where you guys had to come together? And some guys might disagree and some might agree on a topic, but as a whole, everybody had one uh, unified front. Uh, Can you share with any uh, experiences? You know, it's funny. There's there's, there's always instances that, you know, little things that, you know, can, can galvanize a team, you know, at some point in the game, you know, a guy gives a guy a late hit or a, or a low blow or heck to take it to, to the next level. You know, I was playing, I, I started on the defensive line next to a guy named Warren Sapp, um, one of the best, one of the best defensive linemen in the history of the sport, right? Amazing player. And I never forget we were, we were playing a team. I won't say the team because it doesn't matter. The team, we were all in the game. We were down in this game because we were the Raiders and we were usually losing, <laughs> but you know, not by a lot, but we were down in the game. And right before halftime, he was in the bottom of a pile and came out livid and kicking and ready to fight. And we had to hold him back. And we were like, what happened? He goes, look, so-and-so on that team just called me the N-word. And it was like, oh boy. And came over to the sideline and every single player, white and black, doesn't matter what color we're, we're, we're appalled at that. We're upset. And that we came out the second half like, you know, like hellions. I mean, just destroyed them the second half. And and it was nice to kind of see, you know, even though it was something negative that, uh, you know, kind of galvanized the troops, it was just nice to see everybody put everything else aside and go, no, this is our focus right now. And it just shows you the power of, you know, a bunch of individuals coming together for one specific, you know, purpose. And the irony, because life is never without a sense of irony, the irony of what Donald Trump's statements did was, for him to come out and attack the entire league like he did, essentially, it it really galvanized the entire league, not just the guys taking knees, not just the guys raising a fist. It, you had owners, owners that contributed to his, his campaign speaking out going, that, come on, you can't say that. That's not right. We don't agree with that. And you're not going to talk about my players like that. You had tons of head coaches, you know, from Pete Carroll, you know, to, to, to Sean Payton, openly, publicly criticizing the president of the United States some very, very, you know, uh, vehemently, even Rex Ryan, who's, who I played for with the Jets, who is now a, a host of a sports show on ESPN, kind of came out and said, listen, I voted for this guy. I brought him out. I, you know, I introduced him. I endorsed him. And for him to do that really, really pisses me off. I can't, I, I can't believe he said that. I'm, that's not what I signed up for. That's not what I'm about. And, uh, and this guy really let me down. Yeah. I've never known a time, I don't know if you, if, if you have, Rich, a, a time in American history where – publicly and on television, you know, the time in the TV era, I should say, so many prominent figures, especially in the sports world, uh, uh, basically came out and uh, assaulted verbally the president of the United States um, so so clearly and openly. Like, I, I've never seen that before. Same here. This and, is, this and is I, the first time. Yes. First time in my life. I, I've just never seen that. And, I, and ironically, what Trump did do, which is what he said he wanted to do when he took office, which is bring people together. Well, he actually did it this time, you know, albeit by mistake and clumsily, but he actually did it. Like he brought an entire league together and people were like, you know what, love or hate, we're about to do, we're all going to stand together on this one because one thing we can agree on is that we do not agree with that guy. 
And guess what? I'll take it. I'll take it. That's beautiful. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll call that a win. Yes, Jay, that was something that I felt yesterday is that he came about this obviously the wrong way. But again, was this the one thing that needed to happen to really start the dialogue and really start bringing people together? Because as much as it's still divisive, I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to, even like myself, you know, I don't agree with what President Trump is saying. And so it's almost like, all right, I want to let's get this thing going. Let's really start uniting everybody together and see if we can figure this out. And so I, it, was, it was beautiful. It was beautiful because there were a lot of people on the fence. I'm talking about players and coaches yes. that were kind of on the fence about this whole thing, like didn't want to pick a side. And I, and I get that. Everyone's got brands. Everyone's got things going on off the field. Listen, you don't want to risk everything, you know, because you got to take care of your family. And I respect that completely. But after those comments, it was like even 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 the guys that were on the fence were like, nah, can't get with that one. Like, I got him. I have to come out now and say something. I have to make a statement now because he attacked me. And a lot of guys took that personally. A lot of coaches took that personally. A lot of owners took that personally, what Donald Trump said. And they, and they you know, made it a point to not only speak out, but also, you know, show a unified front and present that in a show of solidarity. And I think that is a, a beautiful, beautiful thing to watch. And I, and I don't think... Um, you, you know, the, the casual sports fan or the angry sports fan who doesn't like protests appreciates what's really, really happening or sees the bigger picture that this actually brought us together. And this is going to do more because sports itself does more for race relations than almost anything else because it forces people, in, you know, to come and have a conversation, people from all different race, religions and creeds to come together to work together to get something done. And that's the beauty of it all. And I think it, it reminds us that we're all in this together. And I think that's what we keep missing as a country that love or hate, you know, uh, liberal or conservative, Democrat, Republican, um, left wing, right wing. At the end of the day, guess what? This is, just, this is our country. It's going to be whatever we make it. So we want to sit and bicker and fight all day long. Then that's what we're going to have, a, a divisive, angry country. You know, we want to decide to listen to one another and, uh, you know, come with our eyes open and or I should say our our ears open more so and our mouths closed so we can actually hear what someone has to say. Well, now we got a shot. That's right. So can you then just wrap up, though, where where can we go? You know, I know Colin Kaepernick had mentioned in one of his statements that he knelt, but he would stand again once he felt that there was significant change that happened. And so what is that definition of significant change and how can it be measured? You know, Rich, that's that that's kind of the question of of 2017. Um, and that's that's kind of becoming the question of the year here is is, OK, so what's the answer? So what do we do? And then, and then if we do start to make changes, how do we quantify those changes? You know, will the percentages of, 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 the, of the shooting of unarmed, um, you know, minorities go down? And if it does go down, then is it okay now to stop protesting? And when is it okay? You know, this issue isn't an issue like voting, you know, back in the 60s or something where you, you know, where, where you can clearly quantify if your protests work. Well, if you can vote, then it worked. You know, this is a very different issue, and it's going to be a lot harder to quantify. Here's what I'll say, though. All people wanted to do, and I, when I say people, I mean, I, I, I believe the athletes, Colin Kaepernick and, you know, and, and folks around the country that support the athletes, all they wanted was to be heard. I think they wanted acknowledgement uh, from, from every side, from everyone to go. We hear you. We see you. We get it. This is a problem. We're going to start putting, you know, some, some, some things in action to do that. And I think they would love to, to, to hear that said from the president of the United States to say, you know what? The 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 un the, the disproportionate rate of these killings is becoming a problem, and in this country, and I have to find ways to address it. So you know, I'm going to put together a committee 
um, you know, or, or, or build a committee that'll be investigating now every single shooting of an American who was unarmed. Once it's found that the American was unarmed, we're going to have an independent committee that's not, you know, um, associated with law enforcement, um, maybe, maybe come together and they're going to kind of go through this and, you know, pick it apart and, and, and investigate just to make sure everything was on the up and up. That's a start. You know, I don't, I, I'm not a politician, so I don't know what's best, but I know this, it would make it, it would make people feel better just to be acknowledged specifically by the highest office in the land. Right. So instead what you get is at his rallies, Trump saying stuff like, you know, make sure you, you double down on these guys and make sure you, you know, when you put them in the back of the truck, you, you know, in the back of the uh, police cruiser, you give them a little bump on the head, you know, on that door frame, that'd be nice too. And he says stuff like that. And it's like, yep, these protests are going to keep on happening because clearly the person that, that, that needs to get it most does, doesn't get it. So, and until you see something happen where, you know, there's an acknowledgement by either Trump himself that something's wrong or you just see the players feel that their message has been heard and that people are ready to kind of address the actual issue and not just the flag or the troops, which, by the way, hundreds of thousands of, 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 of veterans and current um, enlisted troops have come out in support of Kaepernick. They started a website called Vets for Kaepernick, and they started a hashtag, and they have well over millions of followers. So it's clearly not a, an issue with the troops. Matter of fact, the troops are thankful for Kaepernick's protests, a lot of them. So, so I, don't, I don't think we can lean on that one anymore. I think that's, that's one you got to let go. And I think it's time to really address the issue. I think once that's done, once there are some real conversations held at a high level about these real actual issues, I think maybe, maybe guys will start to kind of calm it down and, and just get back to football. And if that doesn't happen, then what you're going to have to see is the NFL change some rules. You know, perhaps they, they go back to the days where the anthem was played before the, the players come out because people forget that's what it used to be until the Department of Justice, you know, gave the, gave the NFL X amount of dollars to – to kind of do more promotion of the flag and promotion of the anthem and, you know, have the F-16s flying overhead. Then that became, uh, you know, a thing and everyone kind of rallied behind that. And that was fantastic. I love that too. I, you know, I, I love when the flag comes out, we sing the anthem and you see the, you know, the, the planes, you know, shooting across the sky. I think it's beautiful. Jay, that was some of my best memories of watching some of the big sporting events is seeing the players on the sidelines as the national anthem is being played and they're playing for a title it's their biggest moment, basically, and say an exactly. F-16 flies over, and you see tears coming down some players' eyes. And it was black or white. It didn't, it didn't matter. Of course. And, yeah. it, and it means a lot to everyone. And yes. guess what? I hope those days continue. And I hope that, you know, this year in the Super Bowl, you know, if, if that same image happens, right, you know, F-16 flying over the anthem plan, and there's a couple guys taking a knee or one guy raising the fish, but still singing the anthem with tears in his eyes. I hope people respect that and go, you know what? I can still enjoy this moment and let him have his protest. You don't have to, you know, the two aren't mutually exclusive. You can still enjoy that moment and someone can still protest. You know, that person's protest is not physically hurting you. So for people to take such offense to it always makes me wonder what's going on in their heart that they're that upset about it. Because if you're that upset, that means a part of you doesn't feel right about maybe something you feel because that shouldn't listen. I love the flag. If I was playing right now and I think this is a big question, I, you know, I, I have have yet to be asked. I was about to ask you. Kind of afraid that. Would you I kneel? Know, oh, trust me, I know where we're going. Uh, you know, everyone wants to know. Would you kneel? And guess what? If I was a player right now, if I was still playing, I don't know that I would kneel. I might still stand up, but I'd have my arm around a guy that is kneel. I have no problem with that. 
I don't have any, I can, I can honestly say, I'm not sure if I would kneel, but I know I support every single guy that was, and it wouldn't ruin the anthem for me. So why is it ruining the anthem for someone else that, that one guy is kneeling or two guys are kneeling or 20 guys are kneeling. That has nothing to do with the flag or the anthem. Enjoy the anthem. Sing it. Let the, let the F-16s, you know, go by, let the fireworks go off and enjoy the moment. And then when it's done, let's play some football. I don't know why someone quietly in the corner taking, uh, you know, their, their stand can literally bother this many people. It's, it, it really is more telling about the people that are so bothered than it is about the guy making the protest. But once again, I don't ever want to miss the issue. And, when, and, and there's a specific issue that it's about. That's all. Jay, I can't thank you enough for sharing your thoughts, you know, your heartfelt thoughts um, and not just rhetoric. It's, you know, stuff that you believe in. And I think that's where it all begins. And I'm hoping that we can truly get to a point where we can move away from all of the peripheral things that are going on. And as we've said several times uh, in this uh, discussion so far, that let's get to the heart of the matter, as you so eloquently have talked about. But again, thank you so much for your time. Hey, I appreciate everything, uh, you know, you're trying to do in raising awareness and just, you know, keeping that conversation uh, going, you know, from a from an objective point of view. I like that. And, uh, you know, any, any way I can support you, I'm happy to do so. Well, I hope everyone was able to pick up on the overarching theme from that conversation with Jay. And it's all about it's time we start having conversations about the issue at hand, not about all of the peripheral things that are being discussed right now. We're just running around in circles and avoiding the issue. And the issue is racial inequality. Whether you believe that's happening or not in this country, we need to have conversations about that. And we can't even develop any type of plan or define things until we start having conversations. So remember that freedom of speech doesn't mean freedom of consequences. And for us to avoid these or minimize these unattended consequences from our freedom of speech, We need to be able to have open dialogue amongst one another and understand each person's, each side's viewpoint. So we need to spend more time creating dialogue, not division. Well, that wraps up episode 29. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. Thanks for listening. 